All right, good morning. Good to be with you this morning. Um, if you're online, we're uh, grateful as well to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, we just want to say welcome. We're um, uh, grateful to, to be here this morning. I hope that you are too. I hope you're well. I hope that uh, those around you are well. And um, we are going to continue to dive into First Peter uh, we're, we're beginning in chapter 2. This week we're going to hit verses 1 through 13. So if you've uh, got your Bible, either open it or turn it on, whatever you do. And uh, we're going to get with this. So um, verse 2 says this. It says... Or chapter 2 begins this way. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so the, the, the first place that, that Peter goes to here, it, remember chapter one is dealt with this idea of salvation and understanding what has been given to us and, and, and a call to even holiness, to, to living that is a reflection of the reality that we've had an encounter with the creator of the universe. And, and chapter two begins this thing by saying, okay, now as you're kind of starting to gather as the church, you've, you've been saved, he's like, okay, now put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy hypocrisy, envy, and slander. So, so the, the, the charge becomes within the church, not outside of the church, that the church needs to become a place where we begin to practice spiritual maturity. We begin to realize the reality that, you know what, we may not all get along in here, right? Everybody may not be up for inviting everybody over to a barbecue this Friday, but God has uniquely brought us together, and he's placed us uniquely together for a plan and for a purpose. And the reality of my life and your life is, is sometimes those people that maybe kind of grate on you a little bit are exactly the people that you need in your life. Because this is about growth. This isn't about comfort. This is about growing together. And, and so Paul begins this thing by saying, look, put away malice. Quit hoping that someone will fail. Okay? Put away um, deceit. Don't do something that would cause them to possibly fail. Hypocrisy. Don't profess Jesus with your, your lips and deny him through your actions. Um, envy. Understand and live in the reality that God has gifted you uniquely, that he has given you a life and he's placed you in a unique place, and that is perfect. It's just right. It's not out of line. It's, it, we shouldn't be envying somebody else's giftings or, or, or their life or any of those kinds of things, but that we should rest in the reality that God has, has given it just as it should be for us and all slander. Let's don't talk poorly about one another, okay? Because this is the, this is the call. And, and the reality, the reason the Bible deals with this all the time is because this isn't an easy thing. Church is not an easy thing. It's an interesting animal, as a matter of fact, right? And, and, and uh, I think it was Eugene Pat Patterson said this. He said, you know, church is this place where all these sinners gather up, right? 
And you call one of them pastor. Um, and so, so it's this reality that, that we, we are in process here, and this is not always an easy thing. As a matter of fact, I'm going to hold that church is one of the more difficult things that will actually do well in this world. Now, if we just, if we just really, you know, kind of just come in here and we just meet on Sunday mornings and then we're out and we just do our own life and all that kind of stuff, if we're not doing any kind of life together, it's not nearly as complicated but it's not nearly as effective either. And it's not nearly as um, cementing and, and as binding and as uh, effective in the world around us as it should be. So he goes on to say that, that you, you, you need to, you know, like newborn babies, if you've been born again, then you need to be in God's word. You need to be getting nurtured from God's word. And just like a baby, milk is the... Uh, it's the appropriate food for one who has been born again is God's word. And to begin in the basics, the basic tenets of the faith, and that's the thing. Do we understand and know the basic tenets of the faith and the belief in Christianity that we profess to? Or, or, or have we just kind of heard it from different places? You know, the, the Paul, uh, Peter starts here with this idea to begin in the milk, but there are other places, and this is appropriate. This is where we start, but this isn't where we stay because we don't want to continue to be a people who just drink milk. Paul deals with this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He begins to talk about these people that, you know, like by now, you, you should be kind of further along. You know, you should be eating meat by now, but you're not. You're still drinking milk. And the reason that Paul says is, I know that you're still drinking milk is by your actions, by what you're doing, how you're dealing with one another, how things are going within the church is evidence of the reality of where you're sitting spiritually. In Hebrews chapter 5, it begins, it, it talks about this as well. And it talks about how some of you ought to be teachers by now. You've been at this long enough that you should be actually teaching other people the faith, but you're not because you're still just drinking milk. We're, we're not in the Word. So there's this call to be in the Word and to, uh, to, to basically grow up. There's a reality that we're called in the church to grow up, to learn about the faith, to practice the faith, to go deeper into the deeper things of God, because there's, there, there's amazing and awesome things that deal with salvation. But the deeper you go into the word, the more profound you'll find God's word to be. The more profound you find God's word to be, the more active it'll be in your life, the more active it'll be an expression out of your life, the more willing you'll be and the more you'll want to talk about it with others. I used to think that God's word was just this thing that I couldn't really get. I couldn't grasp it. I didn't understand all these thou shalt nots. But today I see it as the most profound book that I've ever read. What an amazing book that spans thousands and thousands of years yet has this thread of continuity through the whole thing. It's only this thing that God could have done, but we can only know that God has done it by digging deep in it. Proverbs tells us to dig in the word as though we were searching for a buried treasure, that it's not just all on the surface, that there are deeper things of God. And we need to be a people who are practicing growing up and, and, and going on and learning the deeper things of God. It goes on in verse four to say this, it says, and coming to him as a, to a living stone, uh, or uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, wait a minute. That can't be it. It says, as you come to him, a living stone, yeah, it is, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What a picture. See, this is something that Peter knew intimately, right? Because in, in God's word here, uh, he has had um, this 
thing that I can't believe I left that small for me. It says this, it says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, why do people, or who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And so Peter has this thing as Peter is writing this and he's telling us that we are stones, that we are being built up into a spiritual house. You see, this is a picture of what Jesus has told Peter. Now, this is also the place in where the Catholic Church uh, gets the, uh, the, their, their justification for the papacy or for the pope. They, they believe that, that Peter himself was personally given to become the personal representation of Jesus on earth. He was handed the kingdom and the keys to the kingdom, and whatever he bound on earth would be bound in heaven and on earth, and, and, the, and these things where he has been given the authority of Jesus on earth. And, and so the, the, the Catholic Church took this to be a literal thing, this, this idea that, that Peter is now the rock upon which the church is built on. Now, now there's, there's a thread of truth to that, but I, I believe that they're in error there because even just the way that Peter deals with this. So, so the papacy or the pope is, is, is then believed to be a succession of these people who have been handed down the authority of Christ on earth and who are allowed to practice that authority, um, even to the point where they could actually change Scripture. Well, Peter deals with that, and he's, he's, now he's telling us that you're kind of like me. You're a stone. You see, in this where Peter is, is Jesus calls him a rock, what it means, he calls him a petros, which in the Greek means a small rock. It's, it's the kind of rock that you could pick up and you could throw it. But what he says then is on this petra, this big rock, this immovable object, this cliff, this big rock formation that's jutting out of the earth, that's what I'm going to build my church on. And, and so we would say or believe that, that, yes, Peter is part of that church for sure. And, and has he been given some authority? Absolutely, he's been given authority. But so has Paul to build that church, and so have the other disciples, and so have you, and so have I if we are in Christ. And we are this picture of these stones that God is building up into a spiritual house. Notice that he's moving from this place of saying, you are living stones, this idea of diversity, and it's brought into one spiritual house. It goes into the singular there. And, and so we just start to see that this thing is moving in this. Jesus told the Pharisees and, the, and his disciples, he said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tear that temple down, and in three days, I'm going to rebuild it. And he absolutely did. He tore down the old system of, of belief in Judaism and the expectation of the Messiah, and he replaced it with the new covenant that was purchased in his blood, right? And so, so in this sense, he absolutely tore the temple down and rebuilt it in three days because everything about our faith is built within the, the, uh, the parameters of the resurrection and the power of the resurrection. He says we're called to be 
priests, listen, um, to be um, a holy nation. You see, it's this picture that God is building this thing that stone upon stone upon stone that God is building his church, right? That we're called to be a priest. And a priest is, is appointed to declare the holy from the common, the clean from the unclean, to actually teach the law to others and, and the, the divine law of God. You see, the Old Testament priests had a lineage that went to Aaron. We have a lineage that goes back to Jesus. Deuteronomy 14, 2, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to become a people for his personal possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And Peter is saying that this has been God's plan all along. As he called them out of, brought them out of Egypt in the Exodus, in Deuteronomy, he's saying, look, I've, I've called you to be a chosen people, a holy people, a called people, a people who have been set apart for his plans and for his purposes. And so this, this verse very much reckons back to some Old Testament stuff and a lot of Old Testament verses about Jesus. You see, we're supposed to be a holy priesthood. Again, we're back to this concept and this idea of holiness in our lives, that we should pursue the things of God to the degree that they're so evident in our lives that it begins to cause the world to question how we got there or what, what it is that we have, to offer spiritual sacrifices in our lives, to be a generous people, to be a people who aren't focused on ourselves or our own kingdom, but, but, but focused on others, to, to recognize that my life has been um, given to me not to spend on myself, but to spend on others. To, to, be, um, to, to recognize that the reality that we, as we all gather together as the church, that the church is actually an organization for those who aren't part of it. We actually exist for what? Well, for fellowship, for sure, to encourage one another, for sure, to get together, to encourage one another, to grow together in God's word, to go deeper in God's word together, but for what? To go out the doors and to tell the rest of the world, those who aren't part of it, what it's all about, and to bring them in, to help to usher in God's kingdom all around us. Now look where, um, again, this idea of this holy priesthood, and then uh, he goes from there, he goes uh, into this, he says, uh, he says, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So, so basically, he begins to say, he's looking back to a verse in Isaiah that begins to, to make this prediction of this stone that would come and that this stone would be the, the cornerstone. And you see, so, so Peter is understanding and recognizing that, no, I'm not the stone that the church is built on. Jesus is the stone that the church is built on. And my profession of faith is the thing that links me into that place. But Jesus is this cornerstone, this precious cornerstone that has been put in into place. And, and, and in that, he, from the cornerstone, we, we, get, we get our true lines. It, it, it's set as a directive that marks the way for every wall and everything that's built there is built off of that cornerstone. So God's church, Jesus, everything is built off of his teaching, not off of my teaching, not what I say, but what God's word says. And this is why it's just implicitly important that you understand what God's word is because you need to go back and you need to check and make sure. Because if I don't say something that's in agreement with God's word, you shouldn't listen to me. 
because I'm not the authority. I'm not the one who has all of this uh, necessarily all figured out. I'm a person and I could certainly make a mistake. But scripture is the thing, it's the cornerstone that's laid out there. The life of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus is the thing that gives us the direction by which the church should go and that we should order our own lives individually. It goes on. Uh, so this is uh, Isaiah 28, 16 and 17. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for the foundation firmly placed. The one who believes in it will not be disturbed. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the level. You see, it's the life of Jesus by which we, by which we measure it. You know, we, the problem with Christianity is too many times it's based on the behavior of Christians. But Christians aren't the standard for Christianity. Jesus is, right? And, and, and so a lot of times you, you say, well, you know, they, they, you know, people will be like, well, you know, I mean, come on, look at those guys. They're, they're not really living it out. And they'll use that as an excuse to, to not really look at or pursue the faith. But it's good for us to remind people I'm not the standard. It's not, it's not set, thank goodness, it's not set by looking at my life. You know what I mean? It's, it's set by Jesus, and that's the thing that never changes. His lines never change. His righteousness never change. It's perfectly plumb. It's perfectly level. It's a perfect launching pad for us to build off of as this spiritual house is going up. So it goes on to say... Um, uh, but it, it says, so, so the honor is for you who, who, who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And, and, and so, and it says, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So, so this picture here is this, this idea that, that this rock, that it's there for us and that it's something solid and it's foundationally something that we can get a hold of. We can anchor up to this thing. We can build our homes as well. We can dig down through the sand that this world has and find that bedrock and build our lives on that. And that's the big call uh, that, that, that God is calling us to. But, uh, but for those who, who don't believe... Then, then this is a stone of stumbling. It's a rock of offense. Jesus is the offense, really, of the gospel. The reality that he says that he is all truth is an offense to the world, that there is no other way, right? Even though we know that physically there's only one way to get born, we don't want to believe that spiritually there's also only one way to get born. But, but, but this is, it, it reflects, and in, in the reality of the truth of Jesus is the offense of, of Christianity, and it's the thing that as we say that, you're going to offend the world. As you live by these standards and by these cornerstones, you're, you're going to become an offense. And, that, and that's just the way it goes. Jesus actually even warns us and tells us of that reality. And then chapter, verse 9 goes on to say, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You have not received mercy. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy." There's emphasis, and it's repeated here again. It's a reminder again. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Wow, that's crazy, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I struggle with the idea of thinking that, like, God actually wants me as his possession. 
that, that I'm that valuable to him. But that's what God's word says. He didn't say, um, I'm going to have the mountains as my possession or the oceans as my possession or all the galaxies as my possession. He said, I want to have you as my possession, that my greatest possession out of all of creation will be people, my people, those who are, who are in the church. Um, we love because he first loved us. He's called you out of darkness and into the light. That's your testimony. Back in BC, here's what it looked like. But now here we are on the other side of that. And this is what my life looks like. Out of darkness, into light. What does that look like for you? I don't know, but that's your testimony. And your testimony is powerful and it's unique. And the best testimony out there, right, isn't, isn't the one about, you know, like, it's the A plan, actually. The, the people who are most disturbed or, or, or shy about uh, sharing their testimony usually aren't the drug addicts and stuff, right? It's usually the people who said, well, you know, I mean, I, I, I kind of live my life. I, I accepted Jesus at five, and, and I, I, I pretty much tried. didn't do it perfectly, but, you know, I basically, you know, well, that's the A plan, you know, let's, let's talk about that, you know? Sometimes we're like, oh, man, you know, we, we hear the, the um, you know, the, the stories and, and the testimonies of somebody who's, whose life has just been, you know, just a mess and, you know, a heroin addict or whatever, and we're like, golly, this one comedian says, man, if I could have just been a heroin addict, you know, I'd, I'd have this great testimony, you know? Well, it's great. It's awesome that God has, has taken us from that spot. But if you're in a spot where you just follow Jesus your life, that's a fantastic testimony. I want to encourage you in your testimony because our testimony still has the idea that I was here and Jesus changed my life. What does that look for you? It's important to know what your testimony is. Because of this, he's called us out of darkness and into the light. And we are, uh, you're now what you always wanted to be but didn't know how to get there. You now have access to all of the things that the world is chasing out there, thinking that they'll find fulfillment and identity and purpose and reason for life in those empty things. See, we, we, we keep trying to think that, man, if I just had a bigger bank account or a different person to be with or another relationship or, or, or more of this or more of that, then my life would be fulfilling. But that's not the reality of the gospel. The gospel says that you've been given everything that you were seeking for. You were seeking out there for all this, this stuff, but at the root of it, no matter what kind of a mess you got into, the root of it was is that what you really wanted was a relationship with Jesus. You just didn't know how to get there. But he says that he's done that. He's translated us out of a kingdom of darkness and placed us into a kingdom of light. Starts to close out verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as foreigners and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God on the day of visitation. There's two reasons that we need to pursue holy living. Two big ones. One is that first thing that it says. It says it wages war against your very soul. So if we are living into and pursuing the lust of the flesh and just kind of going at some of these things that we want to do, but we know at the same time really aren't blessing us, it's waging war against your very soul. 
It's taking you, it's moving you out of the freedom that God bought for you and it's placing you in bondage to something that you were never meant to be in bondage to. You see, everything about what God wants for us is about freedom, it's about goodness, it's about who he is. And, and, and we, we, we sell it short by chasing these other things. And they begin to deteriorate, they begin to, to really kind of um, degenerate our humanness because we weren't created for the, some of those things or the way that we at least go about them. They wage war against your very soul. And then the second reason too that we've gotta look different to the world is because the world's gotta believe that we understand and know something that works. And if they don't fundamentally know that we or can't visibly see that there's something different in our lives, then they'll have no curiosity as to what that might be. There'll be no reason for them to believe that if they came and gave their life to Jesus that it would make any difference in theirs if they can't see it in ours. So this is important. This is a big deal. The pursuit of holiness within the church is huge because the church must stand and look different. It's got to. If we don't, we ruin our testimony. The world we're living in is seeing massive changes right now, right? Massive changes. To be honest with you, we are not going back to something that looked like what it did before. We don't even know what we're moving forward into, but the reality of it is, is that it will not look the way it used to. There are going to be changes in our world, what's happened and the events of the world today, and probably ongoing events. I want to prepare everybody that I don't believe that, that coronavirus is the only struggle that we're having right now. There's the very real possibilities of incredible financial struggles, I think, before us. We're living in a system that's pumped, uh, just printed money for a long time, and, and you cannot run economics like that. I can't run them in myself, and our government can't either. And, and there, I believe that there's going to be a, a day of reckoning. And, and I'm not an economist, but I'm just saying, I think that as Christians, we need to be geared up for hard times, for difficult days. We need to be prepared for them, and the way that we're going to be prepared for them is, is through God's Word. You see, our world is seeing massive changes. Trust in the government, media, and one another is eroding at a pace that we've never seen. Civility is at an absolute low point. Morality has become subjective. Mental health issues and suicide are on the rise, especially among the young. 79 and a half million people have been displaced and are living as refugees today. 40.3 million people live in slavery. 815 million people live in hunger. There's a struggling middle class. There's an increasing wealth gap. Uh, we're seeing a migration even within our nation. We're seeing it here. We're seeing new people come in from different parts of the nation because they want to escape what's going on in different parts of the world right now and, and, and moral decisions and compasses and all kinds of stuff. We're printing money at unprecedented levels. The family is breaking down. We have deep political divides. There's rioting. There's the destruction of property. There's a cancel culture out there that wants to shut you up and silence you and, and, and just make it where you can't have a voice or say anything. There are racial tensions and there's a whole lot more stuff. But you know what? Above and beyond that, there's hope. There's hope. It's not over, it's not too late, it's not done. But the church has to take a rightful position. The church has to rise up because hope is within the church. The hope of the world is the church and the hope of the church is the resurrected Christ and the reality that he's coming back one day. 
and that the days are, are getting shorter and they're looking more and more like we might really be living in a present time that's just, it's never been sooner, I could tell you that. It's never been closer, right, than it is today. So what's the importance of the church? Why do we meet as the church? I mean, what, why, why not just kind of do our own thing? Why not just kind of, again, again, not to... Not throwing any rocks about online stuff or online church, but online church isn't church. Online church is a tool that helps keeps us connected to church when we're not able to attend church. So if that's you out there and you're not attending because you have you know you know you have worries about attending, please don't hear me saying that you need to be in the doors here today because we're we're in an interesting time. But I just want to say that when we can meet and gather, the church has to gather. We have to corporate because the church isn't just taking in information. Church is relationships. And the thing that will hold the church together is the relationships that are built within this church. It's what's held this church together, I promise you, is the relationships that are built uh, among one another. So we need one another because God has designed us for and given us fellowship. We need each other because we need to grow, and we only grow together. We need support. We need to support one another. We need to encourage one another. And we need to be comfort for one another in the midst of hard times because each and every one of us are going to face hard times. It's a place where we exercise our gifts. You see, God has given each person in here unique spiritual giftings. You're a piece of this puzzle, this spiritual house that is being built by God. You're a piece of that puzzle. And God has uniquely gifted you to express your gifts and the unique way that he's made you and the influence that you have as part of the church. It's part of that spiritual house that he's building up. And if you're not doing that or you're disconnected, then you're just leaving a, you're leaving a gap in the wall. You're leaving a gap in the wall that I believe on some levels nobody else is going to be able to fulfill because nobody else has the relationships you have. Nobody else has the unique influence that, you, that God has gift, given you in, in, in your family and in the world around us and with your neighbors and the giftings that he's given you as well. So we exercise our gifts together. We multiply our giving together. We come together in this place and we take the, the gifts and the treasure that we have and we put it into what, and we're able to do far more than what any of us are able to do individually. We're able to affect the world for change more because we corporately come together and we, we give together. And as we give together, we multiply that. And God multiplies that in an amazing way. We multiply the glory of God when we come here and, and we gather as his church. We, we emphasize him and who he is and what he's about. And we, we bring glory to him. And that's pleasing to God. You see, something special and supernatural happens when the church gathers. It isn't just a gathering of people. Jesus said, we're two or more, I'm there. You see, he said that it, 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 it takes fellowship. It takes fellowship, and I'm going to say, I'm going to hold out that there's something crazy that goes on when the church gathers, and the presence of God comes into this thing. It, there, there's something that happens when believers begin to link arms and we begin to walk through the streets of our community and through the world that we're in, that we begin to make a difference that we cannot make individually. You just can't do it. I, I, you can't. You, you can't grow without the church. God hasn't designed it for us to grow alone and separated and out there. And I love the mountain too, but if, you're, but if your attitude is that the mountain is my church, you're missing it. Because church isn't about you. 
<laughs> That's making it about you. Church is the gathering of people. Church is for those who aren't in it. Church is for, not for the extension of our selfishness, but for the reality that we recognize that we were created and we were given a life to spend outside of ourselves. God is always trying to get us outside of ourselves. You can't do or accomplish what we can together. God has uniquely designed the church. It's a unique thing. You know, just as the, what happened in the Old Testament was, was that there was a tabernacle and, and, and the people of Israel came together and what they did was they took their giftings and whether they were craftsmen or they were sewing something or they were gathering things or they were praying or, or, or they were building, whatever they were doing, they were taking the gifts and the talents and they were bringing it and they were creating and building this house for God to live in for his presence to dwell among them. And, and so they were, they, they were doing that, and then they also brought their, their treasure. They brought their things. They brought some, some w- w- their wealth, and they, they put it in there too, and they, they put that within that. And then they consecrated this. They made it holy. They made it set apart. And when they did that, the glory of God came down, and it filled the tabernacle and the light of the world was, was basically displayed to the world around them. His glory became manifest. And so I believe that that's the same thing, that's the same picture as Peter is telling us that you're a piece of this puzzle. You're a unique puzzle piece. There's, there's no other piece that's gonna fit <clears throat> in the place where God designed you and has knit you in to fit. And so the high call is that, is that we would become this spiritual house and we would recognize the importance of our giftings, and that we would be willing to exercise them within the body and then within the community around us. That we would push back against being so consumed by our other things, our hobbies, our stuff, that we wouldn't treat church as a place I'm going or a sermon I'm hearing, but that you would understand that you are the church and that God has chosen to move through this world by the hands and the feet of the church. It's how he's speaking at this time into the world around us, it's through his church and through his people. So it's a high calling, but it's the greatest thing that we could ever do. It's the most awesome adventure that we can go on if we'll just go on it. You see, if you wanna live a nominal, boring Christian life, I promise you it's incredibly available to you. It's there. And unfortunately, most, most people are living that. But if you wanna go on the wildest ride, the greatest adventure that there is out there, then totally devote yourself to Jesus and what he's calling you to do. Lord, thank you for this day. We thank you that, uh, that you've created us uniquely, that we are living stones, and that those stones have a purpose. And the purpose of that is, is, to, is to build a spiritual house, a place for your presence, for your glory to dwell, to be manifest in us, that the light of the world, Jesus, might shine out through us to the world around us. Lord, we're grateful that you've given us this opportunity. We're thankful, Lord, that you loved us so much, that you gave your, your, your only son, God, so that we might have salvation. Help us, Lord, to, to not be caught up in the things that really um, don't bless us and don't, don't really further your kingdom. Help us, Lord, to, to put those things in their rightful place. Not that they're bad in themselves, Lord, but that, but that you're better. 
So Lord, help us to, to order our lives in a way that blesses others. Help us to live within the church knowing that it's the fellowship that, that brings your glory into this place. It's, it's the fellowship that, that multiplies where we can be so much more than what we are alone. So help us, Lord, to not, to not be isolated. Uh, help us to understand and to even be creative in the ways that we're fellowshipping together. And Lord, make us effective. Make us an effective church in the community around us. Lord, help us to be sold out completely to whatever it is you call us to do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.